Once upon a time, in a faraway land, I woke up and realized I am going to be a dentist. <laughs> Said like no one ever. These are the real stories, not fairy tales, as we go behind the smiles. This is a podcast where we interview and chat with some of the biggest leaders in dentistry, learn their stories, and share their motivation with your host, Dr. Gina Dorfman. This podcast is a two-episode feature. You're currently listening to Part 1, The Colby Concept and Achieving Success in Your Dental Practice, with your host, Dr. Gina Dorfman, and guest speaker, Dr. Chris Phelps. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I am here today with a very good friend of mine, someone that I admire, someone that I um, frequently tune to for advice, um, Dr. Christopher Phelps. A few words about Dr. Phelps. Dr. Phelps is a practicing dentist. He is a practice owner. He's a serial entrepreneur. He is a coach. He's an author. Uh, he had uh, written two books, and uh, he's a regular contributor to multiple publications, um, writing about uh, business of dentistry, the phone systems, marketing, and many other topics. So, Chris, you know, what I was thinking about you today is that you have all of these things that you've committed yourself to. And um, you probably know the old adage when, you know, you say, if you need something done, you ask a busy person. And that's always been my experience with you. What's your schedule like? How do you manage all those different things and and get everything done? Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think... Part of my nature is I know if left to my own accord, I do want to procrastinate <laughs> and put mm-hmm. stuff off. And so I've learned through time and necessity that I can't be that way. So I've tried to create systems in spite of myself, right, uh, to make up for my weaknesses and my challenges. Uh, so I've built a good team of people in all my different areas that I can either – I can get maybe 20% of it done or 80% of it done and pass it on to the, my team to get rid – to finish it out and close it out for me. Or I know if it's something like that and it's really I'm the one that really needs to handle it, I can put stuff off onto other people uh, to take off my plate while I focus on that and, and so I can get it done. Um, and you're right. It's good to, to give it to a busy person because I know if I don't do it right then, it's not going to get done. <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure I get that done for you. You know, you, you, you just said something that makes a lot of sense. Uh, delegation. Um, a lot of us are not good delegators. Any good tips? Yeah, well, you know what? I think we we struggle with delegating because we're unsure of who to delegate to. You know, now the idea is a great, it's a great concept, right? To put it in other people's plate, but how do you really know why you should put it in this person's plate versus that person's plate versus somebody else, right? Maybe yeah. an outsource, maybe not even on your team. You just got to bring in that that source and pay somebody to do it for you. And it really wasn't uh, until for me I, I stumbled upon the Colby concept, K O L B E Colby. Uh, that really gave me language to describe, all right, why should I put this specific thing in this person's plate versus my this team member's plate versus, you know what, we really don't have the strengths here at all. Let me get it. Let me find who that is and, and let them handle it for me. So it was really understanding that Colby concept and how we go to take action and what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Uh, that was kind of my, uh, that was my game changer in that arena. You know, I you you're the one who introduced me to Kobe about maybe four or five years ago. I've never heard of that before, and what surprised me is how accurate it was. When I took the test, uh, and, and I'm going to ask you in, in a few seconds to explain 
you know, this, this whole test and concept and, and all of that. But what surprised me is when I took the test, I all of a sudden understood everything about myself, like my, the way I've always done things and lived my life and, and solve problems and, and, you know, all of the problems that I had getting things done or getting things started, this Kobe explained everything. And, um, in fact, I remember when I took the test and I, I contacted you and, and I said, oh, my gosh, I, I can't believe how accurate it is. And I told you and, and you were like, well, that doesn't surprise me. So <laughs> tell me, <laughs> tell me um, um, or our listeners about uh, Kobe. Explain what it is. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. It was developed by a woman named Kathy Kobe, uh, Kathy with a K. And of course, Kobe's K-O-L-B-E. And, uh, you know, her father was E.L. Wonderlich, who invented the Wonderlich IQ test. And so in her household growing up, the IQ test was the end-all, be-all measurement of success, right? And so the smartest people should correlate to having the most success in business, uh, the most money, profitability, et cetera. And what we all know now is IQ alone is not the end-all measure of success. In fact, True. sometimes the smarter you are, the worse you are at social behavior and business and everything else. Sure. Uh, and and she was really working with kids and, and really sometimes dyslexic kids as well. And she just saw that the way they were doing things, like there was patterns to her that IQ couldn't explain. And she looked at personality assessments. And while that, that explained some of the reasons for their behavior, it really didn't, def- it may have defined like their motivation or the why they were doing it, but it didn't really define how they were taking the action. What were they going to do? How were they going to solve the problem and break it down? And so she decided to do her research in this arena. She felt like there was a third piece of the mind, if you will, outside of your IQ and your personality. So the way I explain it to people is uh, you picture uh, a Ferrari driving down the highway, right? And we all know a Ferrari was built for the highway. And in this Ferrari, there could be a driver and a passenger. And let's, for explanation's sake, picture that the steering wheel is in the middle. And so sometimes we know that whoever's driving your car, your IQ is at the wheel. Right, your IQ is your processing speed. It's it's how fast you learn, like a computer. You know, mm-hmm. two plus two is four. Okay, I got it. Or is it two plus two four? Okay, now I got it. Or is it two plus two five? Nope. Hmm. Six? Nope. Hmm. Four? Yes. Oh, okay. You know, you're right. gonna get there, but some people take a little longer to get there. Right? It's how right. fast they process the info. Uh, your IQ is your storage capacity, your hard drive. Like how much data can you store in your head? And, of course, it's your retrieval, how fast and what's your ability to find the information when you need it. In your head. Right. Uh, that's your IQ side. It's your experience. It's what you've been trained to do, what you know what to do. But sometimes it's not your IQ at the wheel. It's your personality. And I think many of us have had this conflict where we know we should do this, but we want to go this way instead. We feel like we should do this, right? And typically when emotion gets involved, emotion trumps logic. Uh, that's your personality. Okay, that's your your birth order, believe it or not, whether you had brothers and sisters and what ages they are compared to you uh, has a big effect on your personality. It's Are you an extrovert or an introvert, a pessimist or an optimist? Uh, your uh, your family, your culture, your religion, all that shapes your personality, right? Right. But that's really about motivation, what motivates you as your main driver, uh, the catalyst for action. Uh, but it really doesn't explain the action itself. Uh, so if we go back to the Ferrari, right, it could be the driver or the uh, passenger driving. Can you drive a Ferrari off-road? And I know many of you are out there going, no, you can't drive it off-road. But the reality is, of course you can drive it off-road. I may know how to drive it off-road. Just turn the wheel. Right? <laughs> so my knowledge and experience says, just turn the wheel. Here we go. We're off-road. 
you may want to drive it off road. You may feel like you want to thrill or do something nobody's done before. Let's do this thing and take right. it off road. But ultimately, what's going to happen to that Ferrari the longer it drives off road? Is it going to last or is it not? And we all know it's, just, it's going to crash, right? It's going to burn. Right. It's going to break down. It's just not built for that. So in essence, that's what Cassie Colby discovered. That's what Colby measures. It's your natural instincts. It's your operating system. And it's how you're going to take action. What kind of car are you? Right. And the idea that she discovered was that if the job, task, and duties you do every day works within your Colby strengths, how you're built instinctively, okay, then it's, it's not work. Right. Uh, less than 10% of your brain fires an activity. You'll have a limitless supply of energy to produce and be more productive. Versus if it goes against your Colby strengths, again, it's not that you don't know how to do it. You may have been trained. It's not that you don't want to do it because you need a job, right? That's motivating. Right. But if you're not built to do it, it's not going to last, right? Over 70% of your brain lights up an activity. And of course, over the long run, they're going to burn out. They're going to quit. These are the people that do everything they can to not do their job. <laughs> they probably work harder not doing their job than just doing their job, okay? That's all a sign to me that there's a Colby conflict going on. They're not really built to do what, what they're having to do every day. Um, and so it really hit me the hardest, like you said, when you discovered your results, you're like, oh, yeah. And when I took my results and I got my little four numbers, the 34-question multiple-choice test, uh, probably take you 20 minutes to answer it, but it totally sums up who you are at your core uh, in that as soon as you're done. And I was talking to Kathy Colby when I was getting my certification training in this. And I said, hey, Kathy, I'm Chris. I'm a dentist. Nice to meet you. And she said, Chris, I'll stop you right there. You're not a dentist. <laughs> I was like, I was like mm, pretty sure I'm a dentist. <laughs> I, think, right? I think I remember those four years of dental school. That kind of sucks, right? That's kind of hard to forget. She goes, no, no. What your numbers tell me is that you're an entrepreneur who happens to be using dentistry as his vehicle. As his wow. And I was like, ooh, man. <laughs> And that really hit me, man. It was like a little slap across the face because from a personality standpoint, I made the decision that I wanted to be a dentist when I was in seventh grade. Right. Okay? And so my entire life, I thought my purpose was to be a dentist, treat my patients. Right. Here's this woman's coming saying, no, that's not who you are at all. That's just a vehicle you've chosen to use to express your natural talents. And she goes, in fact, I'll go a step further. She goes, she said, uh, I'd be willing to bet you have another business outside of your dental practice. And at the time, I had four practices. So by definition, I was an entrepreneur, multiple businesses. And I said, well, yeah, I've got four practices. She goes, no, no, I bet you have another business outside of the dental practice altogether. And that was right after I'd started the call tracker ROI business. And I was like, oh, crap, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> right? And she said, see, I, I know who you are. I know what you're going to do and what you're not going to do over the long run. You can't fight the science. Right. So once I really embraced that, for me, it was very freeing. That's immediately when I hired my first personal assistant, you know, uh, and I, my productivity jumped a whole other level because of that. I stopped messing around with my weaknesses. I focused on my strengths and I supported myself with those that supported me. That's a great story. Um, let me ask you a question. What is your, uh, if you don't mind sharing, what is your Kobe? It's five, four, eight, three. Can you explain the significance of those numbers? Yeah, yeah. So the first mode, that first number, the five, is in Fact Finder. It'd be the red color on your score. And what Fact Finder measures is how you deal with detail, right? And those that are stronger in that number, uh, like seven, eight, nine, ten, um, strive to get the facts and the details. So these are the people that are going to keep asking you questions because they need more detail, okay, at their core, before they feel ready to move your direction or to say yes or to take action. 
Um, whereas those on the opposite end, maybe like a one, two, or three, fight the facts and the details. Right? They can't. They don't even see the data. They don't see the detail. They see the two most important things, and they're good. That's all the information they need. Uh, me being in the middle, like a four, five, or a six area, what that means is we can accommodate either way. So, and there are definitely certain situations where if I'm really passionate and engaged about that topic, I'm going to act like a fact finder 10. Yeah. I'm going to be the expert. I'm going to be able to dial it down to the nth detail for you if you need me to. But at the same time, if I'm not passionate and engaged about it, I'm like a two fact finder. I, I give you the two most important things and I can dumb it down real quick. Right. So I can accommodate depending on who I'm interacting with or what the situation is. Um, but I find most of my time, you know, like I, when it comes to influence and marketing and all my, my the business of dentistry, that's where I'm an expert in, right? That's where I'm like a fact finder 10. But what's funny is most of the days I walk around life, I don't even know what day it is. Rarely <laughs> even know what time it is. And if not for my little calendar, my phone, I would just be like a lost puppy wandering around. What am I doing? I don't know. Because <laughs> I don't need those kind of details. They, they don't matter to me. Not really. Uh, so it's kind of funny how that works. It could kind of go either way. Um, and by the way, 90% of dentists have the same profile. So 90% of you out there listening, dentists uh, and medical doctors, you all have the same Colby profile uh, because the education system breeds that profile to make it through undergrad and dental school or medical school. Right. You have to have these Colby strengths for the majority of the people. Uh, and then there's like 10 percent of us that are kind of outliers. We kind of stand out. So what is a typical uh, number for a dentist? Yeah. So a typical number for a dentist is an eight, five, two, five. So uh, they're really strong in fact finders. They need that justification. They need the detail. They look to the past for answers. They want to know 10 dentists that have done it successfully and had a great outcome before they'll even think about moving right, or changing. Uh, in the middle, we're all similar. I'm a five as well on follow through. That's how you deal with structure and orientation. So it's a, uh, uh, are you a systems person or do you fight systems? Uh, are you going to create the plan or you just want somebody to give you the plan? Uh, do you start a task, finish a task, then move on to the next task? So kind of scratch it off your list one at a time. Or do you multitask? Okay. Uh, you switch focus uh, fairly easily, uh, you know, in a given time. Um, and most dentists being in the middle just means we don't want to create the plan, the structure of the process. We don't want to fight the plan, the structure of the process. Please God, somebody just give me the plan. Right. <laughs> we'll, main, we'll maintain the plan. We know the plan, the rules, we can follow the system that's been given to us. And th that is in my opinion, why dentistry and dentists spend more money on consulting and coaching than any other industry out there. Wow. Because I think we're built that way. Not only do we not have the experience, we were never taught how to run our businesses. True. But at the same time, we're not even built for it. Okay, not to create the plan. We just want the plan. So and we'll pay for the plan. <laughs> um, so I'm at five in that area. The next mode, the green mode, is your quick start mode. Um, that's how you deal with adapt to risk and uncertainty. And this is one of my higher numbers. I'm an eight in this realm, whereas most dentists are two. So it doesn't mean that I'm riskier than other people, although. I'm Sometimes some of the things I do looks risky to some people, but really I take calculated risks. Okay? Uh, it also just means that I adapt to risk. I adapt to change and uncertainty faster than those at the other end of the spectrum. doesn't mean they can't change. It just means if you're like a one, two, or three, like most dentists are, they tend to be more reactive in their mindset. Okay? Wait for it to happen, then I'll change. Uh, they tend to be um, fighting to maintain the status quo, right? 
let's just keep doing it the way we've always been doing it. Aim, aim, right? Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, this is the, our, the the number of our teams kind of follow that profile as well. Uh, so a lot of talk about what needs to change, but nothing ever changes. <laughs> we're not really we're not really built for change, at least not quickly. It usually takes a little time. And then of course, your last mode is called your implementer mode. That's really about implements or tools. Okay. So if you're thinking about implementing or getting stuff done, that's follow through. Your implementor is more like the noun, implements or tools. So it's kind of like touchy feely. Are you more you have to touch it, feel it. Does it have to be concrete in your hand to get the concept, to understand it? Or are you more an abstract thinker? I can visualize it without having to touch it to get it, you know. And most dentists here are in the middle, okay. Uh, so it means they can accommodate depending on the situation. But this is kind of where our dental talent comes into play, right? That five in the middle means we're very high on quality. And we'd like to build things that are going to last, okay. Uh, sometimes we, we're not going to build it ourselves. That's why we don't make the crown. Right. <laughs> Um, but we can prepare the thing and make sure that it's sealed and that we can follow steps to make sure it's going to last for the long run. So, um, that's a great, that's expl- great explanation because I remember when I took my test, and of course my implementer is one. And yeah. I remember when I panicked and, and I called and, and I said, Chris, how do I get anything done with the one implementer? And you said it's more about, um, you know, touching things and like putting Legos together. And yeah. to me, it made a great explanation because I find Legos terrifying. I mean, I couldn't, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't oh, yeah. put together a set for design for like a five-year-old. So it's funny because, you know, my numbers, I have a, I'm a high fact finder like most dentists. I'm a five follow-through like most dentists. And then I have this flip-flop where I am um, a seven quick start and a one implementer. And when I read this number for, and explanation for this number for the first time when I took the test, I was it, it, it was completely clear to me why I'm always, I jump on a project and like I'm, I make a decision very quickly. I'm going to do something. And then I get stuck in a fact finder mode and then I need someone to come and rescue me and finish the project for me, which is why I delegate a lot. So it it makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that uh, of course you do is you um, help people figure out what their Kobe is and how to apply that in practice. So let me ask you a question. What is, um, you know, how would this information be useful in a practice? What would you do with that? Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about all of the positions in the dental office today, um, thinking about why do we do what we do, right? Uh, and knowing what I know about the science of influence and the power of consensus, meaning most of the time we look to other people to show us what we should be doing. And we're doing our things today for no other reason than that's the way it's always been done, or that was the way it was taught to us to do. But nobody really stopped to ask why. Should we still be doing it that way? Does it still make sense today? Um, and I looked at every position from a Colby standpoint because I kept seeing this conflict. And, you know, while I, if you, let's think about the front desk, for instance. Okay. So, do you think that the ideal front desk person's Colby should be somebody who can multitask and has strength switching between things uh, throughout the day with ease? Or do you think it's, that person should be built to start a task, finish a task, then move on to the next task? So, given the front desk environment today, which of those two strengths do you think? Does it need to be? We we know they have to be multitaskers, right? Yes. There, there's a thousand things going on at the front desk at any given time between the existing patient standing in front of them, the phone's ringing off the hook, they're on hold with insurance companies, 
there's always something going on. Somebody needs a treatment plan over here, right? Their focus is always being shifted. But the challenge is that everybody we hire for this position in dentistry is not built for that. They're built on the other end. Their strength is to start one thing, finish one thing, then move on to the next thing. So wow. by forcing them to multitask, not only are they not productive as they could be, they're miserable and they burn out. They don't last for the long run. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's why one of the big reasons for me was I felt like the dental office of today was built for yesterday's practice, <laughs> but it's not built to survive for tomorrow's. Not really. And so we really need to rethink that. So that's why I started outsourcing everything. And I said, you know, going using my fact finder, trying to get the, the most important thing. I thought, what is the most important job of our front desk team, in my opinion? And my answer was, because I'm a fee-for-service office, right, much like yourself, mm -hmm. and I know that it's about the patient experience, right? So I want to make sure that that existing patient has the best experience possible, and they leave with their next appointment. Because if they leave with their next appointment, whatever that's for, then it cuts off my patient attrition number. So I'm not going to lose them down the road. Well, right. if I don't lose them, that means that's less than marketing money I have to spend to replace them just to break even, right? So I thought, how can I free up their time to do that? Uh, so that's why the first thing I did was, you know, uh, I started outsourcing confirmation calls. So they stopped doing that. Uh, the next thing was I outsourced all the insurance stuff, all the verifications, all the AR follow-ups, gone. And then I started I outsourced, uh, and that's why I developed my call service, uh, my scheduling service, Golden Goose Scheduling. And then so we get the new patient phone calls out of the front desk. So they don't have time to mess with it. That's why they can't answer the phone, and they're really not good at converting because they truthfully don't have the time to spend to talk to that person to really understand what's going on, right? right. And when I started getting all these things off their plate, not only were they more productive and happier, our patients were happier, we got more of the stuff we needed internally, more reviews, more referrals, all the things we just didn't have time to work on before. Yeah. Suddenly, we can make that our priority. The front desk is is not only I, I call it interruptitis. You know, you 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 have yeah. so many things going at the front office, and there are so many mistakes that are being made at the front office. And actually, one of the um, reasons why we started to develop Yappy in my practice is because we we saw this need to kind of you know um, streamline some of the operations and make sure that all of those mistakes are not being made. And I think that's kind of why you developed the golden goose. Tell, tell me about, uh, about this a little bit more. Yeah. So that's, uh, our new patient scheduling service. Um, so through my call tracking business, I have the, uh, a unique position that I get to see what a lot of dentist data are when they're marketing. I see who they're using in marketing and I see what they're getting results they're getting. Uh, I also see their challenges. And one of those challenges is that the average office doesn't answer about a third of their new patient phone calls. That's, uh, they that's just mind-blowing. That's yeah. mind-blowing. And that's for those spending $2,000 or less in marketing per month, meaning even if you're not spending anything, you're still missing calls Okay, during business hours too. Uh, if you start spending more than $2,000 a month, it creeps up to about 55% of the calls go unanswered. Wow. So think about that. You paid for marketing, you paid for the phone to ring, and we don't pick up the phone half the time. It's crazy. Uh, and when we do pick up, the average team is only converting around a third as well, like 34%. So if 100 new patients called your office this month and you had 100 potential new patients call, you, only, you didn't answer a third of the calls, and you only scheduled a third that you talked to, that's 22 appointments when you could have had 78 more, right? So it's a, it's a big lost opportunity. 
And I also was able to track what all the dental call centers out there were doing at the time uh, and see if they were solving the problem. Because if they were, I wasn't going to reinvent the wheel. You know, I don't go looking for a problem, uh, but when I find it, I can't shake it till I figure it out. So if somebody else had figured it out, I'd have paid for it, just like everybody else. But the problem was they weren't solving the problem either. They were not answering a significant number of new patient calls, and the call center's teams were scheduling worse than our own team, <laughs> if you can imagine. Okay, wow. so they're like 14 to 24%. So uh, I decided I had to dig into the why behind why can't we answer the phone, and why are we having poor phone conversions? And why are these people that this is their business, why haven't they solved the problem? And once I did that and figured out those whys, that's what I built Golden Goose off of, okay? Where we try to help our clients answer 100% of their new patient calls uh, during business hours and after. My team right now is converting at around 91.7% conversion rate. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, on fee-for-service patients too, by the way, okay? Wow. Uh, with a no-show rate on new patients of less than 2%. Wow. So. I know when we make an appointment, the odds are pretty good they're going to show. <laughs> um, and everybody's getting a better ROI. Are we the, the cheapest out there? Not even close. We're probably one of the most expensive ones. But because we're focused on new patients and what a new patient is worth in your practice, in my mind, it's a small investment that pays you dividends back in the long run. So uh, that's kind of our focus, you know, and that's what we're doing for offices all over the country. Hey, make sure you check out part two of the Colby concept and achieving success in your dental practice up next.